This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. They say two is better than one. So it stands to reason that three is better than two, right? Well, you can ask Jason Clark that question because he has not one, not two, but three roles at Netscope. Officially, Jason is the chief strategy and marketing officer. And what that means is that he is responsible for the marketing, security, and strategy teams at Netscope. Luckily, Jason has incredible people working for him to lighten the load, but that doesn't make the work he does simple. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Jason takes us behind the scenes of life at Netscope and what it means to market and provide security transformations to companies around the world. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we are joined by special guest, Jason. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Happy to be here. Happy to have you on the show. And uh, this is going to be a really fun interview because you are a co-rolled person, uh, CMO and a CSO at Netscope. And we're going to get into how you can be both and what this means for your marketing uh, prowess here. Super excited to get into it. But first, so this is your first role in marketing officially. Is that right? That's right. It's my first official CMO role. Although I have served in the function of running, I'd say, half of marketing multiple times. I historically not wanted to take the marketing title for fear that it would impact my relationships with the clients and they would see me as a salesperson. Totally. That makes sense. So what was your first start in marketing? So I, I you know, was a, my kind of original, I was been a you know, chief security officer and uh, for, for many years. And my first job, I'd say call it on the business side, was being a chief strategy officer at WebSense. My job was to transform the company and turn it into Forcepoint and you know, much more in line, um, you know, be a top five security company player for the world. And as part of that, I partnered with the CMO, um, Joanna Flowers, who was, just, it was the CrowdStrike CMO. And her and I became kind of best friends and, and best teammates. And so she would, was giving me more and more kind of marketing things to do, right? So I'd be part of developing the messaging. I'd run, you know, all, all field marketing. I would then start getting very involved in all the product marketing and content marketing because having been a client, right, having been a CSO, I kind of knew the problem better than anybody else in the company. So who else better to, than to develop the messaging than to decide where we should go to take that messaging to? And third, right, how to drive the correct level of thought leadership and content. So that was my first role, I'd say about nine, 10 years ago in marketing. And so flash forward to today, you're the CMO and CSO of Netscope. Can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, like what your marketing team looks like? How do you structure your time and the scope of those different roles? Yeah. And so I kind of kind of have three roles, um, which is a little unique, right? So I have the security team. So you could say I'm the you know, again, chief security officer role, managing, protecting Netscope and protecting our clients, right? The reason for that is that keeps me super close to the problem, right? If I understand, if I'm customer zero of our own product and I'm protecting our own company against the same threats that our customers are facing, it keeps me close to the problem as possible. Second, I have the chief strategy officer role. 
in that role, it is also about being super close to the problem. And, but that means being close to the client. So I meet with 450 chief security officers and CIOs a year and, you know, best friends with many of them with a purpose of knowing the problem better than anybody else in the world. And if I take understanding that problem and I drive then our go-to-market and our product strategy, right, leveraging that, then we have an advantage. If I know the problems that are arising, that they're dealing with that are just getting started, but about to be big, then I can direct the company and advise our CEO in the best way. And then third, the execution of all that, right, is the marketing role. So you combine strategy and marketing together and marketing, then I can create the correct messaging. I can you know, make sure that we're, we're communicating in not in the language of you know, the, the CTO and the product team would call something, but really in the outcomes and the business values that we want to drive, right? So you have to be super in tune and separate signal from the noise, right, for, for our customers. So that's how really those three roles blend together. Um, the second part of your question was, how do I design it organizationally? So I have a, a, a CISO and a deputy CISO and a team of 20-something of security professionals that run the internal security team. However, I leverage those two individuals heavily in my strategy and marketing role because I keep, you know, they're, they're reviewing content. They're even, they help, they're on podcasts. They help create content. They meet with clients. So I, even though that they have an internal role, I leverage them 20% externally. Second is the chief strategy officer function, where I have six former CISOs. Um, I have um, one that's Dave Fairman. He's the former CISO for World Bank of Scotland, World Bank of Canada, National Australian Bank, as my Asia-PAC chief security and strategy officer. And I have those same kind of roles for in the US and in Europe. And so they meet with clients every single day, and they bring what they learn back to marketing and back to our product team, right? So they're driving sales, they're driving thought leadership, but then they're also bringing back the feedback loop of everything they learn. And so I have a leader, which is James Christiansen for that team. He's the former CISO for Visa, General Motors, Experian, and Teradata. And then third, and you know, kind of most importantly, where all this stuff comes together for execution, the drive pipeline and awareness is the marketing team. And so in that, I have three main people, right? Um, I have a really rock star team that we've built where I have a head of corp comms. And then I have a leader for growth marketing, right? And that's demand gen um, and all of marketing operations, right? And then last, I have, you know, a product uh, marketing and solutions marketing person, right? That also, and fourth, which it's, there's a dotted line here, but fourth, I have um, competitive intelligence as well, which obviously aligns directly with my product marketing team. And so who are you all selling to? Who's your kind of ideal customer profile? Number one, it is the chief information security officer, right? Hands down. And so we're enabling that modernization security program in a cloud and data centric way, right? So the CISO is number one. Second is the CIO, right? Because all these things converge and come together to the CIO. And then third would be the head of network operations, right? So those are the three main people, obviously, and then their staff, right? Their architects, their engineers, and all the technical people that are part of their organization. And so how much of your time is spent and, and your kind of strategy team's time and, and your marketing team's time, you know, meeting with CISOs, talking to those folks, 
you know, convincing them that this is the right decision. It seems like you're a very hands-on CMO and you'd be involved in the sales process to some degree. Yeah. I'd say 50% of my time is in the field, working with clients, understanding their problem, right? And then that then kind of allows, that's why, you know, it allows me to have this awesome leadership team that can execute without needing to be micromanaged, right? And can, can deliver and work together as a team. And then the other half of the time, I'm coming back to them and providing all the feedback that I've learned, right? From those conversations, as well as just making sure that everybody's kind of motivated and aligned and inspired to really achieve kind of that purpose and that vision that we've set out. Yeah. And so, you know, with 50% of your time, I'm imagine you're, you're getting a ton of insights and different things. How do you feed that back into the marketing organization to create content, to create, you know, events, to create webinars and white papers and different sort of things? Yes. Yeah, so you start with kind of constant, you know, one-on-ones with your leadership team to kind of share what you're doing because you want to make it specific to their role, their job. Second, um, and it's not just me, it's also, again, the whole the whole chief strategy officer team of those six CISOs that I mentioned, it's them being a reviewer of all content that's external facing, right? So they're, they're either contributor or they're a reviewer of all content because in the end, they are the consumer, right? They were the buyer just, let's say, a year or two years ago. And therefore, they're constantly inserting themselves into that process. Then as we build campaigns, it's the same thing. Somebody from the strategy team who is meeting with clients 100% of their job, right? Not just 50% like me, they're then involved in the campaign design and making sure, again, the words are right, the message is right, and even that the execution, the medium that we're using is is going to reach the buyer, right? Is that where they're going right now? Does it sound too much like our competition? Does it sound too boring, right? Because in this world of of everything's digital right now with COVID, we have to innovate, right? So constantly innovating and bringing experience and making it interesting, right? And not in, in let's say webinars, right? They, we can't just do webinars like we used to. We can't really just do podcasts like we used to. Things have to be more unique and more interesting um, and have more personality to them. And in the end, you know, have, have more soul to it, right? Because people are stuck in their houses and they, they need to feel something versus just receive data. You've obviously been a, a CISO multiple times. You know how it is. How did you like to get marketed to? Like, what were the things, you know, as you were buying products and services, uh, w- does that inform some of your, uh, your marketing spend? Absolutely. Not just marketing spend. It it's even starts with the sales pitch deck, right? That, the thing that I have an allergic reaction to is the, hey, let me spend five slides telling you the history of my company right? That, like you, you lost me right away. I already picked up my phone and started doing email. So you, you have to grab my attention in kind of those first 30 seconds. And how the people that were the most successful with me were the ones that were established trust quickly, right? And so how, do you, how can you establish and accelerate trust becomes extremely important, right? And it's the words you use. It's the mannerisms. It's how you back up what you say, right? It's not just talking, the, the vendors who talked about all the stuff they're going to do in the future, you know, they're going to integrate all the stuff that they bought, but yet they never, ever did. And they have in three years, but they're still talking about it. I, I've, I lost trust and faith in them, right? 
And I, I, I knew that their truth was not real. And so I think it comes down to just, you know, going straight to the facts of what you do and making sure you really want to bring value and you want to show that you have empathy for them and you want to help them. And that's how you drive trust, right? So that's what I took away is I could right away read the companies I could trust and the people I could trust versus the ones I couldn't. And that's what I try and instill in everything that we do. I like that approach from a, from a sales perspective, because, you know, when you're talking about these type of large security deals and, and partnerships that you are going to have executives in the room, you are going to have a group of people that's going to be pitched. It's not, you know, the person buying a piece of software off the shelf that they can just swipe a credit card. So the actual sales materials matter, you know, perhaps more so than just what you have on your website. How, how do you kind of, how involved are you in the creation of like those sales assets, the traditional kind of like sales enablement piece? Extremely hands-on. I would say myself and the head of product marketing, you know, kind of built it together along with grabbing, let's say our best three sales reps. And we formed a little committee and we met every single week, iterating, 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 right? Me then taking slides we created in that, little box. And I went and tested it right before the sales team was testing it. I tested it myself and would see what worked and what didn't work. And I'd say, guys, guess what? I just used this one slide and it kind of fell flat. We need to, it's not working. We need to change it. Right. And so then we'd invent another one and I would personally take it to five or 10 meetings. So it's that constant methodical iteration, slide by slide, word by word that's used. Right. So the, the answer is extremely heavily. And um, I think it's one of the most important things that a CMO can do or a marketing team can do is to be able to invent that. And I'll give an example. You know, from the time that we changed our messaging, you know, there's a point in time last year where we changed our messaging where we all of a sudden, right after that, more than doubled our pipeline growth by percent, right? Instantly. Now, were there other things we did? Yes. But the core, the nucleus of that was the messaging of how we separated ourselves out and the very, you know, this very specific words that we used. That's super fascinating. Obviously, you put that into the market through, through your marketing and obviously like into your sales team. How did you get that messaging out there? So obviously, yes, it's, it's, it's a new website. It's getting to the channel, right? Channel is extremely important to us. And that's, you know, getting them, getting them to, to have the awareness. So when you start, when I first started, I was told by sales teams, you know, it, it takes six to 10 times before the light bulb go off. And I almost fell out of my chair. I'm like, oh, that, all right, we need to fix that. Like, <laughs> it should be 15 minutes and the light bulb goes off, right? Ultimately, I want to get it to where you walk in the door, salesperson, and you don't even have to, like, the light bulb's already off. They're just saying, hey, tell me how much and when can you deliver it, right? And so, to answer the question, it was everything, right? It was going to all the right events and getting keynotes on stage. It was lots of webinars, lots of podcasts, email marketing, just, you know, our email effectiveness. We had a hit rate of an open rate of 40% on our emails from single digits, just by a change of tone and messaging. And those numbers are unheard of. Yeah, that's insane. Do you think that part of that is, you know, we talk a lot about like the idea of like push versus pull messaging and just like how much 
people get, you know, to be just obsessed with their own content calendar, right? Of like trying to figure out like how to produce stuff rather than like kind of why they're producing it and just trying to hit, you know, number metrics of like, hey, we need to post every day or we need to do X or we need to do Y and not necessarily like what the things that they're putting in. I mean, how did you, you know, if you're getting a 40% hit rate, like clearly you're putting something pretty interesting in there. You know, how, how did you think about that? So you're, you're spot on on everything you just said. I think marketing teams focus way too much on the activity level and not the quality and the value of what they're producing. Oh, it's like, yes, we have to have this one artifact because we just have to have this artifact. That's part of the checklist, right? Versus really thinking about that artifact with the client's empathy in mind, really understanding the client. And I think that's the hardest thing. And honestly, the very best CEOs I know, it's been one of their secret weapons is how much time they spend with clients and then that they're able to have that client empathy. And so the reality is, is that that is, I think marketing teams spend too much time in their ivory tower. And I say this all the time to my own marketing team that we need to build this content, best practices. Well, why aren't we building it with the people that actually practice? We've never practiced it, right? How can we write best practices? We should facilitate the process, but we can't be the experts. We need to acknowledge that the field and our customers are the experts. And we need to tap into that, harness it, cultivate it, and let it flourish, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. I mean, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think that that's part of the thing is like, you know, you get a really talented writer and a marketer in a room and they can create, you know, some amazing stuff. But the problem is like, you know, the, the number one rule of how to write better is you got to read more, Right. Like that's the whole thing is it's the inputs that that come into, you know, that person that that they're going to be able to write about. And so if you've never, you know, sat in the seat or if you've never done those things, you have to be able to find the, you know, for lack of a better term, source material from those folks of sharing how that feels, you know, what their day to day is like, what the things like, how much time they have for this problem in their month that they devote to it how many meetings that they have, like just all of those little things that really matter to someone. And it's just, it's really hard to kind of replicate that. And you can't just kind of write listicles for something like this. Now, for another company, it might totally work. You know, like if, I, you know, if you're a company that bakes bread and you're writing, you know, a copy about bread, it's like, well, that writer has probably eaten a bunch of bread in their life. So they can talk pretty, pretty eloquently about, you know, how bread tastes. But for you know B two B sales in a cybersecurity setting or a, a you know cloud security or you know any of that that sort of uh, material, it's going to be a totally different conversation. That's right. I'm sure you know people that write about wine have drunk a lot of wine, right? And they're wine enthusiasts. I mean, that is I say this all the time. I read something, and one of my number one responses back is, "It sounds like a marketer wrote it." Right. And the answer is, well, a marketer did write it. I'm like, that, 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 then how are we different? Right. And how, how do we scale the relationships of our executives? How do I scale the relationship of my CEO with our thousands of clients? Right. And how do I make them feel like they have a relationship with our company? And they get a sense, again, you said this word before, but a sense for our soul. 
and that we're trying to do good. And that is our purpose and that we're going to be true. We're going to be honest. And, you know, that's how we accelerate that trust curve. But we're not going to do that by sounding like a marketing team that's just trying to get in their heads. Yeah, it's a great point. I, I think that part of the part of the reason that you have a lot of that for bigger companies too is that things get noted to death, right? You know, just like any Hollywood movie or or whatever it is, right? It's like a million people have a take on, well, this doesn't sound enough like our brand. This doesn't sound like, you know, what we would say or, you know, and things just get watered down and watered down and watered down. And, uh, yeah, I like to say, uh, uh, you know, all filler, no killer, right? It's like, there's no, <laughs> there's just fluff at the end when you, when you take away all the edges, right? And that's not what gets people to action, right? It's like, those are the things that, that don't spurn people to, to take action. It just gets ignored. So how do you kind of, how do you fight that level of mediocrity? How do you fight the level of the notes? That is a hard one. I, I think I deal with that every day. The team deals with that every day. It's this knowing that we need to be, we need to be more direct and we need to be more raw, more assertive, but without being alarmist, right? We don't want to sound like we're, you know, we're, we're, we're doing, you know, FUD or fear, uncertainty and doubt, right? We're, we don't want to be, oh, everybody's going to get hacked if you, you know, don't buy our product, right? That's, that's really bad. But how do you, how do you balance out and say, look, if you're, if you're running legacy technology that isn't next gen technology like ours, you have a big gap and that gap is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Right. And that balance to be able to, to have that, that level of, again, being able to be raw and direct about it while maintaining trust. And I think that part of the way to do that is you couple it with thought leadership or you couple it with a person that used to be in their seat saying it versus a salesperson saying it at first, right? So it can be like, hey, look, here's your peer at this big bank who is, is saying that, you know, everybody needs to move in this direction, right? So I, what I guess what I'm trying to say to your, to your question is you're spot on on the problem. I don't have a secret answer there. I think it's something that we battle with as well every day. Well, yeah, what, what you're alluding to, I, I think is really interesting, which is let the practitioners say it, how they're going to say it, and facilitate the conversations in which they can say those things, and then amplify the folks that are saying the things that you believe about the future, right? And I think so many people focus on like creating stuff in-house, whether it's, you know, content or otherwise, that's you know, very manufactured rather than letting the voices that are out there, you know, tell the story. I mean, we think about this all the time because, you know, we create podcasts. So, you know, inherently you're letting people share their voices as, you know, as part of it. But you think about like the, the great webinars versus the bad webinars, the great piece of content versus the bad piece of content, you know, like it all comes down to like, you know, do you trust the person that they're actually delivering the results, you know, I, I talked to someone recently about marketing and it was clear that they kind of didn't actually have, you know, the experience running the types of campaigns that we were talking about. And it's just a lot of fluff, right? And like your listeners, your audience, your customers, your prospects can sniff that out 
really fast. And so if it's not genuine stuff, it's just not going to hit well. Yep. That's it. Spot on. Right. And I think uh, another, uh, you, you, you talked about using, you know, the, the, the peers, right. Or using our customers. One other thing that we've had obviously a lot of, a lot of good success with is having our partners, whether it's channel partner or alliance partner. So we have this alliance partnership with CrowdStrike and with Okta as an example, right? And we've been a trio for over a year and a half. And the fact that these three kind of best of breed next-gen players are, are aligning together to take on the legacy players, all of a sudden we each all gain credibility from each other as well. I think that that is as a marketer, you want to find, it's a great lesson of like finding peers that you can co-market with. The problem is sometimes when you have those folks and you have maybe not as strong of a partner marketing you know, engine is stuff can get boiled down like we talked about. So now, now instead of you know, one legal team and one you know, approval process, you now have two legal teams or, you know, in the, you know, CrowdStrike, Okta and, and you all, you have three legal teams and three, you know, marketing folks. And there's a lot of, you know, people in that decision-making group. How do you, how do you kind of go about, you know, creating things with partners? You have to have the relationship at the top. I think when you have that, you kind of can cut through the BS. Otherwise people are going to do, and I mean, I, I, I ran into this in this partnership I just talked to you about, right? I had to call up one of the CMOs and say, hey, look, you know, our teams are scared to share leads for these things, these great events that we're doing. In the end, we're just trying to drive goodness in the industry. And um, we're all trying to get people all, we have the same enemy. And so, you know, being afraid that who's going to call who first or that they're going to get, you know, called by both of us. Like, let's just, let's just remove all that. We, we just have to be aligned and say, you know, let's merge our efforts, right? And both all benefit at the same time from those efforts. And the CMO was like 100% agree. It's like, great. So let's just tell our teams that, right? Because people were kind of trying to protect their own leads from their own field. And it's just, it's just a mindset shift. And I think that's a phone call to the CEO or to the CMO or to the CRO, right? I, I don't know how you get away. I don't know how you get around it without that. Well, and I totally agree, but it's also, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what marketing is today in today's day and age, right? It's like the idea of creating demand around your product means that like you're tipping the point where they want to reach out to you, that they understand who you are, that at the point when you are reaching out, it's not about like slamming the lead deck to get marketing qualified leads. Like that's just not, it's not where we're at, you know? I mean, it's just really not especially not like for an enterprise product, right? Like maybe for other types of products, but it's just not like, so fighting over, you know, how many people can pester people just makes no sense. Right. And you have to be comfortable kind of in your own skin with that, um, with that your message is going to be unique and that you have, you know, you have a solution to a real problem they have, right? Versus trying to force it upon them. So I think once you're once, as you just said, like once, once everybody's comfortable with that. And I think, by the way, the, that alliance, all three of us, like we all know that every single company in the world has the problem that we solve, right? And it's just really a matter of their timing. Are they ready? Are they ready to go on that journey? Are they ready to modernize their security program? And which thing do they do first? And the which thing they do first doesn't, 
you know, it's, it's going to be based off of their own needs and their own business. Right. And that we, once we understand that, you know, then we can, it, it's not, it's less about trying to influence them. Whereas it's actually just trying about, about helping them on that journey. And once again, we're helping them on that journey, especially when we're doing it together, we're the good guys, right? We're the ones that want to make their life easier and better. Cause the reality is, is the CISO's job is one of the toughest jobs in the entire world. Totally. And everybody's gunning for them. You know, it's now becoming an issue where you, you know, you got lawsuits coming after you. I mean, it is a job where when I was doing it for Fortune 100, I was being woken up at three o'clock every single morning or not every single morning, but a couple, couple of times a week, right? On Christmas day, I miss Christmas day because of a security incident. The CISO that joined my team, the former CISO for Robica Scotland, Robica Canada, Dave Fairman, you know, he, why did he come join us? Well, because he believes in what we're doing, but he also, he wanted to be part of this marketing and strategy thing. But most importantly, he was tired of missing vacations. And the, t- the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back was he had to miss his best friends. He was the best man in his best friend's wedding. And his boss basically made him decide and said, you know, you're going to either stay here and do this job or you're going to go to that. Right. And that was, he's like, this isn't the life I want to live anymore. So point is it's, it's very tough and they need friends. They need people helping them that's on their side. And that's, that's what they're looking for. Cause it's a lonely job too. And so I think that um, as we market to them, that's what they're looking for. Yeah. That's a great example. Do you think about measuring those type of those type of engagements like i'd imagine that you know as he has conversations with prospects and customers like listen i was i was in those shoes our goal as a company is to prevent any ciso from having to wake up on on christmas morning and you know roll into the office right like you know obviously i'm sure you you all look at nps but are are there any ways that you that you kind of measure and track campaigns to show success we track and measure the when we talk about that chief strategy officer team, right? We track and measure the emails that get sent out as them, which have obviously a much higher significant hit rate when they're trying to recruit for an event or um, you know communicate anything because it's coming from a person versus you know marketing that, right? Second, we track source. So um, last year, that team was responsible for nine percent of all new ACV close one deals, meaning they sourced it, right? They opened the door to that customer and got the meeting because of a relationship or because they, maybe they didn't have a relationship and they sent a note and said, hey, look, I love your feedback. I feel like we're doing really good stuff to help the industry. Can we get a meeting, right? That's some sourcing. So we measure source and then next we measure influence, right? So the rest of the time, which, you know, the, the other, they're, they're probably on, they're on every single deal over 100K, right? Now that's much harder when you start talking about influence. It's just like marketing. How do we measure that influence? Um, how do we measure who had a more important role in the deal? You know, the sales guy, the SC, the, you know, the services, I mean, all across the board, who, who had more impact is very, very difficult to measure, even attribution. But one thing was very clear is when you know that this is the person that opened the door, right? And, and we got that meeting because of trust. So that, that's about all we measure around those engagements because it's, it's hard to measure the quality of the engagement. Yeah, totally. That's pretty interesting kind of delineating 
that as as an extension of your your marketing, almost like that kind of evangelist budget for the organizations that kind of have that as an extension of marketing rather than an extension of product or something like that. Is that kind of how how you think about? It? I mean, I've, clearly this has to be like a budgeted you know aspect, and I know it all falls under you, so it's a little different, but. It's campaign, right? They they are a they are a walking campaign and content producer, right? And so the answer is, I look at it like marketing. I mean, I that, I think this is part of our secret weapon. Again, it's you know how the efficiency of how much I spend on that to get the output I get is the most efficient thing that we spend on. However, it's relationships and it doesn't scale, right? So that percentage I gave you, that's going to come down constantly over time. Unlike the percentage of attribution of source of what channel is going to bring, that should be increasing over time, right? And so just like our digital should be increasing over time. So it's just something that is not scalable because there are you know, these, these people that you hire to be part of the strategy marketing team or uh, it takes a, it's a unicorn. It takes a very unique kind of person that has been in the seat, has the personality and the passion and the bedside manner to make people feel at ease, but then to help be able to coach them and strategize them, right? Because we're basically kind of constantly being coaches to lots and lots of CSOs. So the answer is yes, it's budgeted. I, I mean, it's basically part of the marketing team, but I don't want to set the expectation that it's something that couldn't scale because it, it just can't. That's it. I mean, how would you budget for, you know, the time spent of those folks coaching and mentoring and helping CISOs, right? It's like, it's some of the most high leverage stuff with an expectation of nothing in return, right? It's like the ultimate marketing play where it's like, we're just trying to be helpful. And if this ends in business, then it ends in business. And if it doesn't, then we just made the world a little better. But like, that is just not something that, you know, a traditional head of sales would be like, what the heck is this? You know, give me those leads, you know, make those intros to sales. And it's like, they'll be interested when they're interested, I promise. That's right. That's ex- that, that is, I mean, I think that's, that, that I've, I've seen people try to replicate this and that's where they go wrong right away. They say, tell me who you know, open doors for me. I want your Rolodex. You know, why are you spending time with that company? They're not budgeting anything for a year. Why, why'd you go sit with them for three hours, right? You're wasting your time. When, when there's a mindset like that, um, I mean, lots of CEOs reach out to me right, all the time saying, hey, Jason, we want to replicate what you've done. And, you know, it's, it's not easy. It's very doable. But every time I watch them do it, it's, it tends to be with the wrong reasoning behind it versus we just want to do good for the industry. We don't want to do good for the world. If that's our reasoning, it's, it's we want to help lots and lots of people. It all will come back around. Right. Um, but these, this team is not afraid to ask for money either, right? They're not, they're not afraid to say, hey, listen, can, can we get Netscope in your budget this year, right? But you do that once you've established this trust and this friendship. Do you have a, uh, a favorite campaign or, uh, or maybe a least favorite campaign or a learning experience uh, over the past couple of years? Um, I mean, I think, you know, COVID has obviously changed everybody's life right now. And so everybody's, you know, in this work from anywhere right? Work from home, work from, you know, the, the grandparents' house. I mean, just that's accelerated, you know, the entire world we live in. And obviously our product, our company, Netscope is benefiting from that because that's essentially what we solve. Work from anywhere, 
to using an app anywhere and making the new perimeter essentially, you know, the person and the data. And so as part of that, when COVID happened, we had a campaign planned for June that we brought right into March. We accelerated it forward. And that's my favorite campaign that we've ran so far because it was a enabling the work from home. And it was our, our launch of our new product, um, which is called Netscope Private Access. And it was basically replacing VPNs, legacy VPNs, right? But that campaign, because it, it was a, the timing was right, and it was a, you know, how to secure your workforce in a work from home or work from anywhere world where the, the security controls will follow the user and the data versus them having to be backhauled through your data center and creating friction for the business. They said, 10,000 people go, go home and the systems broke in enabling those workers to come back into the office virtually. And so we were able to, you know, spin up and help people with a campaign we launched Within a week later, we're spinning up, you know, massive companies on this product, right? Um, so I felt like we did good for the world and the campaign had significant impact. So obviously the role of the CMO has security involved now and the role of the CISO has more marketing involved now, but there, there's, uh, there's definitely an intersection point. How intertwined are these two roles? Obviously for you, Every day, it's uh, 100% intertwined. But for other folks, is there a similar sort of, are they getting closer together or farther apart? Definitely has to be getting closer together. They are both enabling the business through creating trust with clients, right? And in the, in the, in the job of acquiring and retaining profitable customers, they both have a very significant function in that. So I'd say trust is the word that starts to intertwine them. And they, in the end, can benefit and leverage each other in a significant way. The role of the CISO should be tapping into the CMO a lot more to better market internally about their program. The security teams tend to have a bad reputation inside of companies because they're the office of no. You know, people kind of start to walk the other way they're afraid to go to the security team and say, hey, we got this new idea and this new project. And the security team says, oh, yeah, no, can't do that. Sorry, not good for security. Versus how do I coach and enable and the, the business to go forward? And how do I market the reason behind the controls I'm putting in place? That is a sales and marketing function. So I always tell every CISO, their first day on the job, I tell them to go hire a marketing analyst right? To hire a communication specialist. That's the first job I tell them to go hire. Whether they have a hundred people or three people, I say, go hire a communications expert because your job will be selling all across the company, your new program and trying to change the negative thoughts of security that has existed from the past. So do you think just kind of like security needs like a little brand refresh uh, inside all these companies? Is that kind of kind of what, uh, what that person can do? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, every, every one of these need a brand refresh. That's a, and um, unfortunately, probably has to a lot of times start with a change of leadership because there's an association there, but it doesn't always have to be, but they should be focusing on rebranding. And a lot of times people think rebranding means they're going to rename the team. Oh, we're not going to be called the security team anymore. We're going to be called the global risk team right? And now we've rebranded versus really 
again, driving a campaign about how they want to engage, right? And But they have to methodically think about every decision that they're making, every tool they bring in. Is that tool going to stop people from doing things or is it going to enable people to do things safely? It's like brakes on a car, right? Are you going to bring a tool that's just riding the brakes all the time or is the brakes there to help the car go really, really fast? Okay, let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. Check them out. They've been with us since the first episode of this show, hundreds of episodes ago. We love Salesforce. Check them out, salesforce.com slash marketing. Lightning round questions. Jason, are you ready? Yes. Number one, have you picked up a hobby or a habit in shelter in place? Riding a bike. I ride like 20 miles every other day. Do you have a favorite book, podcast, TV show that you're binging recently? Umbrella Academy, a TV show on, on Netflix. It's so good. I love it. I just finished. It's awesome. What is your best advice for a first-time CMO? Really understand the product and the customer, period. If you understand the buyer and their problem, and you can better understand it than anybody else in the company, you will be successful at your job. If you weren't doing any of this, if you weren't a CMO, if you weren't a CISO, if you weren't a CSO, what do you think you'd be doing? That's a good question. Probably teaching. I could see that. You have a very teaching uh, kind of vibe. I, I could definitely see it. What is the first place after all of the COVID stuff is over that you're going to go eat indoors? Going to Europe, for sure. Probably one of our favorite restaurant in Positano in Italy or a restaurant in Barcelona specifically that we want to go to. But we want to go to Europe. In fact, I had a plane ticket booked for, I still have it booked for September 13th right now. And I've just not been able to hit the cancel button yet because I know I can't go, (laughs) but I have not canceled the flight yet. (laughs) I love it. Jason, thanks so much for joining. This has been absolutely awesome. Great insights. Our first ever and maybe the first ever CMO slash CSO slash CISO, Mr. Do-It-All. Jason, thanks so much for coming on. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? No, this has been been awesome and, and look forward to, uh, to following your podcast from here on out. It'll be interesting. Yeah, awesome. And, and for our listeners, uh, go talk to your uh, CISO about Netscope. Jason, thanks again. Thank you. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people. 
but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.